broadcasting under the night sky from the edge of an undisclosed jungle on the Gulf of Mexico. I'm Christopher Garitano, your voice in the night. For the next hour, allow me to be your guide into the bizarre unknown, the fantastic macabre, and together we'll journey to that borderland between fiction and reality, a place beyond all rational explanation. We are now off to the witch. Seven weeks ago, in Nellis Air Force Base, and a year and about a month ago, about 13 months ago, because I was there at that time, we entertained the United Nations and the Russians and showed them Area 51, which is supposed to be our most secret military base. What is going on, folks? Tell you what's going on. We're being sold down the river. We've got to do something about it, otherwise we will not see this country go on as the United States, and I don't think we'll see it go on for a year. I'm saying I don't, I don't believe I will see it go on as a country in six months at present. That was part of a public speech made by the late Phil Schneider, a man who claimed that in the 1970s, he was an engineer in a secret underground base located in Dulce, New Mexico. Phil was the son of Otto Schneider, an Operation Paperclip scientist recruited by Naval Intelligence in 1946 to develop nuclear submarines. With claims of government corruption, alien contact, and secret plans to ultimately deceive and destroy our society, he spoke publicly against his former employers and in 1996 was found dead. It was declared a suicide, but many believe that Phil Schneider was murdered for exposing a variety of secret information. Tonight's guest is here to share not only Phil Schneider's story, but the tales of many whistleblowers throughout modern history that may have been eliminated for the information that they exposed. We'll hear their stories after this commercial break. After these messages, we'll be right back. You are listening to the Off to the Witch podcast, where we explore that bizarre borderline between fiction and reality and all subjects arcane. Journey over to my YouTube channel and subscribe now at youtube.com slash at Off to the Witch for a variety of extras and special features, including the Off to the Witch mini-docs with further insights on many of the latest episodes, as well as previews and behind the scenes of my forthcoming investigative series, Off to the Witch Presents, as well as the anniversary edition of my motion picture documentary, Montauk Chronicles. And follow us on social media all links are available at linktree.com slash garitano7, G-A-R-E-T-A-N-O-7. And stay tuned for more Off to the Witch. On November 13, 1974, Karen Silkwood, an employee at an Oklahoma nuclear facility, was on her way to meet with a reporter from the New York Times. She never got there. Silkwood. Drew Stevens. Dolly Pelliker. What about the radiation effects from all this material? We've all seen the poor guy suffering the effects of sunburn. Well, radiation's like that. <laughs> there was a contamination in our section. They're saying that you did it. I just hate people talking about me that way. 
Gary and the company's got to blame somebody, otherwise it's their fault. Sounds like they're trying to get rid of you. I wish I could take care of you, but... I'm doing something good. I know what you're doing. You're the wrong person to be doing it. I was just thinking, if you'd ever quit, come away with me. I can't quit now. What are you doing in there? They're trying to kill me. I'm your host, Christopher Garitano, and tonight's guest, Paul Richard Price, has a vast knowledge of conspiracy and secret government UFO programs. He also claims to have had personal experience with both, as you can hear more of his own story in several of my previous episodes. Tonight we talk about whistleblowers that on record committed suicide but questionably died under mysterious circumstances. So here's my interview with Paul. Richard Price. I was born on February 23rd, 1968, in the small, used to be small, remote town of Springerville, Arizona. I am a research scientist who works in the field of gravity modification theory. I am well known for the uh, work I've done in that, in that and you, you can look up my work on Google by searching Gravitational Propulsion in a Fluid Membrane, a New Propulsion Methodology, and Vortex Gravity Control. I am a the middle child of five kids of a five child or a five children family. My father is a Roswell witness. Roswell UFO, let me clarify that. My mother was one of the first women who was uh, part of the integrated male and female army back in 1976. I have had connections because of my work in gravitational control and all with members of the U.S. intelligence community, namely Ron Pendolfi, Dr. Ron Pendolfi, formerly of the CIA, Currently, the uh, CEO of the nonprofit Cashmere World Foundation. I, I've been exposed to people who were a part of the remote viewing program, which includes Dr. Doctors Hal Putoff and Russell Targ. I've had connections with the Montauk Project when I was younger, where they were doing psychic tests on me in, at Camp Hero. Back in 1975, I am an expert when it comes to alternative propulsion and energy systems. I've also experienced UFOs, or what is now more commonly referred to as UAPs. My question is, at some point throughout all of this, and you've had these profound experiences, um, you know, some to be even considered supernatural. 
things that most people only know through science fiction. And then you, or espionage stories, or Philip K. Dick type, you know, paranoid technology and government stories. And you have experienced those things firsthand. And tonight's subject is about whistleblower alleged suicide. So in other words, it's it's odd that these people were about to come out with information that their previous employers and governments or deep government had signed contracts with them that they would never speak of, yet they were going to. And they felt that these secrets were at the detriment of the people, of the populace. And so in your case, did you, and all of the things you know and experienced, let's start off before we start telling some of these stories. Did you ever experience a paranoia that at some point you might be assassinated for the things you know that you walked away with because you claim you were part of all of these other projects? Were you ever scared for your life? Well, not really scared, but I had warnings given to me that if I didn't shut my mouth, uh, things could happen to me. I'm the type what, of person. Okay, so when you had warnings, what? How did those warnings come? Did someone call you? Was there a you know? Because some people claim the Men in Black had visited them and gave them warnings. What exactly happened in terms of the warning? How was it delivered? Well, uh, the Men in Black, I, from my own experience, I worked at NASA and at the Johnson Space Center and Building Eleven in in the cafeteria from eighty nine to nineteen. Uh, from September of 89 until uh, March of 1990. And I got terminated from that uh, from my employment for talking about classified information that, I, pardon me, that I had no idea that I was talking about. I had come up with an idea in my head that I dreamt about and talked about it because I didn't know if the idea would work and I did not think the idea would work. However, um, it turns out that the uh, Air Force and NASA were working on an almost identical uh, project, which was a part of and being funded by the Aurora program. And for your listeners who do not know what the Aurora project was, or series of projects, have them look up TR3, uh, the TR3B Black Manta program, as well as other hypersonic programs. That uh, in were, short, what were the, what were those programs, and why was the information so classified? Because they used advanced technologies. One, a plasma pulse detonation system that did not use fuel. It generated the plasma by generated generating an electrical field. And then that uh, plasma, which was generated by the air, I was then forced through a conduit and then it exploded out the rear of the uh, vehicle, which caused linear propulsion and acceleration that was up above Mach 20. In fact, they were saying that the Aurora plane itself, the original, was able to go either suborbital or orbital. 
and it was designed to be the uh, replacement of the SR-71 Blackbird. But that was one of the projects funded under the program. The other one was the TR-3B Black Manta project, where they used highly pressured, rotating, energized liquid mercury plasma that generated a counterfield effect that that countered uh, gravity as we know it. And it used uh, vector thrusting, or, or thrusting, I should say, forgive me, thrusters that uh, generated a pulse, uh, a plasma pulse that was able to generate um, movement from le- yaw left to right and up and down. Pits and roll left uh, yaw. And that was all done with electromagnetic systems that were powered by reportedly from uh, uh, nuclear um, react- reactors who that were um, powering the, uh, the systems and subsystems in the Aurora program. This uh, technology was derived from research done reportedly from crashed disks that crashed in New Mexico and other countries around the world, as as well as the U.S. And so, in other words, th- this is from extraterrestrial origin, or it's being suggested to have been correct. And one of the original precursors to the Aurora the Aurora program was what was later called the Alien Reproduction Vehicle, which Mark McCandlish, the late Mark McCandlish. Um, talked about and drew a drawing of back in the late 90s, early uh, 2000s. And they've been working on this technology, the government, for at least 80 years. And even... So Mark Mark McCandlish is one of the people that we're talking about in this little anthology tonight about whistleblowers that later on record committed suicide. Is that correct? Well, yeah, and it, it goes beyond that. I mean, Mark's people people who wanted to do um, documentaries on Mark's life and on the research he was doing were given warnings by the federal government not to proceed with any uh, documentaries on Mark. And the one who did do it and you can look up the information who did a documentary, died of a rare cancer that was caused by heavy metal poisoning and radiation exposure. Well, go back to the uh, work done by Morris K. Jessup in the late 40s and early 50s when he wrote the book, uh, wrote a book on UFOs where he discussed the Philadelphia experiment. He... Actually, uh, they claimed he committed suicide by carbon monoxide poisoning, where when they found his body, they uh, saw that he reportedly put a hose from the end of his exhaust into the back uh, window and back door of his car. And when they found him, he, he was all but dead. But there were indicators that he actually did not do it on his own. He, it looked like there was a bruise on the back 
of his head where he was knocked unconscious. And then they put him in back into his car, put the hose and then bam, he's dead. Another person who's questionable death and suicide uh, happened just around the same time, if not a little bit after was the first director of central intelligence, um, James Forrestal. And he was the, also the director, uh, or he was the secretary of the defense. And he was a reported member of the, uh, or of the, uh, majestic group, majestic 12, one of the original, uh, members of the, of the, of the, uh, majestic group. And he reportedly had, was having depression, but was about to be released to his family. He had a visit from a government agent and reportedly jumped out uh, an 18-story window at Bethesda Naval Hospital and died. There is a question because he was going to go public with, with the information on UFOs, and then he reportedly... And the day that he reportedly committed suicide was the day that he was about to be released into his family's custody. And they said he was in good spirits. Now, that's an overriding issue in the stories about suicide and UFOs, including Mark's story. And I am a witness to that. I talked to Mark prior to his reported suicide and he was a good in good spirits. No reason to believe he wanted to kill himself, but this is the overriding story throughout history. When people have wanted to, and even Roswell witnesses themselves, those who were wanting to go public were warned that if they made any statements regarding what they had seen or heard, that this was a big desert and they wouldn't find your bodies. After a warning like that, why is it that these people go forward? What is it that compels them to go forward? There's something about this information that they feel strongly, even risking their own murder or death, that they want to get it out to the public because they originally agreed that they wouldn't. Part of their contract was, this is a top secret thing, you can't talk about it. So why is it, do you think, that these people rebel? What what other factor is there? It's got to be more than just the information. What, what are they seeing? Why do they feel compelled to release this information? Well, let's get into my story a bit and what happened to me and the threats that were made to me when I worked at NASA and even afterwards. The compulsion of most people, most people I think overall, if they're not sociopathic or psychopathic, know the difference between between right and wrong. And generally, people want to err on the side of right. Many of them are believe that they, when they die, that they will be going either to eternal judgment in hell or to go to heaven and have eternal bliss with God. And it's those people who are now coming out and telling their stories, even with the threats of death including uh, Jesse Marcel Sr. and other people who witnessed the Roswell event. There were threats made, and even some of those people were suicided. 
And that's how that's the primary way that they get rid of people now is that they claim that they are they are depressed that they want to commit suicide uh, that that's the only way out but most of them just wanted to get the truth out the same is with Mark Mark McCandlish and his story in my story I had people coming up to me giving me warnings that I needed to keep my mouth shut one good friend of mine Ron and I'm not going to mention his last name he worked NASA security at the Johnson Space Center years ago told me you need to shut your effing mouth or bad things will happen to you. Now, if you remember that there was a woman that came out years ago during the Disclosure Project um, press conference who was a blonde-haired woman who worked uh, at for the photographic uh, department at NASA. And she mentioned the name of a security guard she had been dating. I know I know the story. I knew her back when she worked for uh, JSC. Uh, and she was dating Ron. Ron was the guy who got head-butted with a rifle when he was supposed to take uh, and knocked out, when he was supposed to take photos and not look at them, but put them in the incinerator. That story is true. Ron told me about it. He was hot. he was in the hospital for at least two weeks before they released him afterwards. But what happened is, is that people want to tell the truth. People have a sense of honor, irregardless of the threats that, that have been made against them. They want to tell the truth. And also it comes... See, I don't mean to interrupt, but here's the thing. Like, okay, they want to tell the truth but they agreed to be part of this project and they agreed to help develop whatever technology was there or maintain it. At what point do they say, wait a second, this is not what I signed on for and I'm going to reveal the truth. And the second part of this question is what do you assume the truth might be? Because it can't just be the classified technology that they agreed to be part of. What are, what is being hidden that these people are so compelled to come out and risk their lives by revealing information, which they are no longer here because of it. What do you think it is? Well, it goes back to an even bigger issue. The UFO issue is just a small smidgen of an issue. It's being used to perpetrate the most ultimate crime on humanity. They're going to use it to fake an alien invasion scenario where they will forcefully unite the world's governments and people under a totalitarian government. That is the real reason why they're uh, going public. A lot of people like Bill Cooper, William Cooper, we will talk about him as well. He had access to classified information when he worked for the Office of Naval Intelligence. Some of it dealt with UFOs, but most of it dealt with the integration of the U.S. military and NASA into the world military-industrial complex. And by doing so, they had planned to unite the world's government and to put us under a totalitarian rule. 
that is why people are standing up even to a point where they may end up getting killed. So what you're saying is you believe that each of these different projects somehow lent to the ultimate goal of a totalitarian rule over every country in the world. And they're lying. It's not just about the technology. All of this technology serves some kind of oppression. Is that, is that what you're suggesting? Well, look at uh, the information that came out during the uh, congressional hearings, the church hearings back in the 1970s, which released information on um, shady classified projects done by the CIA and ultimately released certain documents on the MK Ultra. MK Umbra and MK uh, Ultima programs dealing with mind control, propaganda, and other things. We are looking at a small group of people with the ultimate agenda that they believe that where, where there's right, there's might, and that they have the right to control the world because they believe that they're more intelligent and therefore, and also more well-to-do than most people are. And therefore they have the right, not only the privilege, but the right to control the world because they believe they can do it better than anyone else. That we're, the rest of us are sheeple and we have no idea how to run our own lives and we need somebody to pat us on the booty and say, you need to go here, be a good boy. Those are, that is the real reason why these whistleblowers, including myself, have went out there and risk life and limb. Because what's coming... Now, uh, I, go, this is an odd question and normally probably people wouldn't ask this in an interview like this, but how do you feel that, and I don't mean they're right, but do you feel that some of the population, what do we have uh, close to 8 billion people on the planet, that some of the population needs to be guided? Do you feel that? Well, here's my feeling on it. There are people that may need help, but not guided. Uh, Well, maybe guided in a simple term, but not oppressed. Everybody has the ability. I don't agree with oppression in any way, and it really doesn't work because the way they think, if this is true, and I believe certainly to an extent it is, that the way they think is, well, everybody must be the same. You know, There's a large portion of the population that needs some regulating and fixing and adjusting. And so we're just going to do it to everybody. That's where trouble comes into paradise. And I think it needs to be more specific. It needs to, there needs to be better laws in place meant to protect people, not to just be enforced and punish. But these things need to be meant to protect people. And the, and the issue with this is you have this oppressive force that's in charge. You don't have any real leaders, people that are really looking out for the people and that are intelligent enough to sort these things out. Um, and so what you're saying is for a very long time, we've just been under an oppressive rule and we don't really know the full truth. 
And what ends up happening is, and again, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but what ends up happening is some some people get on the inside and they're developing technologies and, and they see exactly what we're talking about. They see that it's all a lie, that people are being oppressed, people are being killed, and they can't, for their own souls, they can't they can't lie with the problem. And so they come out with it at the risk of their own lives. Is it kind of like that? Is Am I correct about this? Yes, you are. I mean, people, you got to understand, these people are taking their own lives in their own hands and, and at great risk. They are heroes and heroines. They are the people who we should be looking up to and having admiration for. Not only those in the past, like Marilyn Monroe, who, because, and let's say she was a jilted lover, let's be honest, the Kennedy uh, boys, both John and Robert, were messing around with her and then dumped her. So she decided she was going to get back at him by doing a press conference. And reportedly, one of the things that she was going to talk about was that uh, John had actually witnessed. Uh, the Roswell bodies and the crash material in 1957 when he went for a visit with then-President Dwight D. Eisenhower to Edwards Air Force Base where they had all that on display in a classified uh, um, meeting in one of the hangars at Edwards. And he reportedly talked to her about it while they were in bed together. She was about to go public with that, and that couldn't happen, so she got murdered. And even though they claimed hers was a suicide, trust me, it wasn't. I mean, there's she didn't have enough um, pills in her system uh, to have caused rendered her totally unconscious. They believed that she was given anal suppositories. And this was reportedly done by members of the mafia under orders of Robert Kennedy Sr. So in short, you're suggesting that, and and this has been suggested before many times, that the Kennedys had Marilyn Monroe killed because of what? Because Because of she knew she knew information about Roswell? It was for multiple reasons. One was the Roswell incident. The other was because she was going to spill. And reportedly, she may have been pregnant with Bobby Kennedy's kid. And she was going to go public with that. And there was no way that the Kennedys would allow that to go public because it would ruin their empire. You know, Camelot and such. So, yeah, Robert Kennedy reportedly directed that murder. But there were other issues where they were even more afraid about her discussing the Roswell event. And there were forces behind Bobby and John that were really pushing them very hard to keep that information quiet. Now, that information may have led as one of the factors to John F. Kennedy's murder. And that was because he wanted to release that information and give it to the Russians. There are documents about that. And they may have ordered a wet wet work done on John F. Kennedy to keep that 
secret. That is the most classified, or was up until recently, the most classified subject in the U.S. government, bar none. Now, these are two, um, Marilyn was a, quote, suicide and then murder. And then we can look at James McDonald. I, I think he was a Colorado uh, State University professor, and he had a doc, doctorate in astronomy. And he was going to expose certain aspects of the military's involvement in UFOs, and he committed suicide, reportedly. That was mysterious. Now, we can go further. There, I mean, and let's go now, before we go uh, segue into Mark McAlish's story, which is a good segue into his story afterwards about William Cooper. Now, William Cooper was... And William Cooper, he was a, he was a writer, correct? He wrote um, Behold a Pale Horse? Yes, and he was a former uh, lieutenant, I do believe, in the U.S. Navy, and he was a um, naval intelligence officer. A lot of the data and information that he talked about in Behold a Pale Horse, he later admitted was based on uh, the records he read while being stationed as a naval intelligence officer. Well, Bill Cooper started not only talking about UFOs, he started talking about how uh, the Illuminati, which is now rephrased as New World Order, how they were planning on uh, using technology to fake an alien invasion scenario as a last-ditch effort to keep us or to force us, I should say, into a one-world government. And he used to uh, cry out to the rafters, telling people, we have to stop this. If we don't, they're going to take us down. Now, Eventually, uh, Bill Cooper got information, and he never said where he got it, where he predicted and, pre- and predated that from the, quote, prediction that Alex Jones gave in uh, early 2000. In late 1999, Bill Cooper did an interview on his, um, po- or his radio broadcast, Hour of the Time, where he predicted that there would be an attack on the U.S., and he said the World Trade Center, and that it would be blamed on Osama bin Laden. And this was six months before 9-11. Now, people try to give Alex Jones credit for that. He got his information by listening to Bill Cooper himself, or William Cooper. That's one. And then, within three months after that, the uh, a sheriff's department in Arizona where Bill Cooper lived went to serve him an arrest warrant on a weapons charge, if I'm correct. He knew that it was unlawful and illegal. And reportedly, that, that particular one was ordered by former President William Jefferson Clinton. 
And also, um, not, it wouldn't be Bill Clinton. It, well, Bill reportedly uh, authorized it before he left office. But it was initiated by George, uh, George Walker Bush. And they went in there to arrest him on federal charges. He knew it was illegal. He was trying to get back into his house to go and protect his wife and his daughter. And the claim was is that he pulled his gun and they shot him dead. And they tried to claim that he committed suicide by cop. But there are issues where he may not have been drawing a gun and they just fired on him anyway. That's another one. Further on down the line, there have been several other incidences where people who were harassed because they were talking about their abduction experiences and they started looking into military abductions, my labs in other words, they were either threatened or suicided to keep their mouth shut. Because what we're looking at here too is the fact that they're still running experiments on the populace, which goes against the Nuremberg trials or the hearings. It seems that um, the whistleblowers, no matter how much they were getting paid, no matter how much they were threatened, it, it went against their morality. They realized something really horrible was going on. And so do you feel that all of these programs, I mean, I can understand, you know, going way back uh, to the early 60s where Marilyn Monroe was... Uh, assassinated because of what their reputation would be revealed. She knew too much. Uh, there was a lot at stake. I'm not condoning what they did. Of course, I'm just saying like that was a different perspective back then. And then you had other people that realized, wow, their their reality is not what we know. And these leaders, the way they portray themselves are not how they really are. Is that ultimately what this is? Like, there is a huge conspiracy. They don't see us the way they portray us and the way politicians speak to people are essentially all lies. Well, here, here's the thing I was going to say real quickly about, um, according to the UFO cover-up theracist, they believe Kennedy was assassinated because he wanted to share UFO secrets with Nikita Khrushchev and the Soviet Union. And they and Majestic 12 could not handle that, so they killed him. Bill Cooper had already revealed too much, and then he was trying to put a kink in the works by exposing the plan with uh, Osama bin Laden and he had to be dealt with. Um, but before we get into Mark, I really want to get into uh, Carla Turner. Now, this is not a suicide. I want to make that clear. But the way she died segues perfectly into what we're talking about. Carla Turner is was a psychiatrist. And... She was a professor at a college, 
And she was actually an experiencer where she was abducted by aliens. She started to question the abduction due to the fact that she saw military men along with the, quote, gray aliens, which she was one of the first ones to coin the term my lab or military abductions, where they used implantable thoughts into people's heads. They threatened to kill her to keep her quiet. And she was a Christian. She believed that these entities were not necessarily from other planets. She believed that they were from other dimensions or even demonic in nature. And this is a trained psychologist. And she came down uh, near the end of her life with breast cancer. That was an extremely aggressive breast cancer that killed her. She was told that that somebody had uh, at a doctor's visit that she went to, where the, when they were doing tests, had given her um, those cancer cells that then later she uh, came down with cancer with. She died, and this was a good woman with a good heart. And she lost her first marriage. Her and her uh, first husband experienced alien abduction. Remember, it's a shock to the system because you want to believe in, in God, government, and apple pie and family. You want to believe in the good. You want to believe that you want to think that our government has our best interest at heart. When you get the evidence that they that it wasn't, that this may not be the case, then you have to fundamentally shift your paradigm structure and the way you think. In other words, you have to, uh, you have to do a paradigm shift. And that's difficult for people uh, to do or to grasp. What attracts what type of human being to be in power? And there are two types, usually. There are people that want to help, and then people that want power over others. And unfortunately, um, the latter is the one that's the majority, in my opinion. And then people get corrupted. You know, they get corrupted by taste of money and I who knows what goes on behind the scenes you know you you have these whistleblowers coming out and revealing truths and allegedly getting murdered for them um, and I believe that's happened quite a bit but you also have people who change or I guess like a litmus test their true personality comes out when they're given a little power and a little bit of money maybe because they never had it in life or they never they don't have any inner strength so you know they they, they feel this is their way, this is their road to power. Um, I don't know, because I'm not in politics and I never will be. But these stories are there for a reason, and I'm certain that they've happened throughout history. I mean, like, it's just, um, why do you think it is that people, why do you think it is that people are so afraid of opening their mind to the fact that there are are all of these conspiracies happening? Remember, it's a shock to the system because you want to believe in, in 
God, government, and apple pie and family. You want to believe in the good. You want to believe that you want to think that our government has our best interest at heart. When you get the evidence that they that it wasn't that this may not be the case, then you have to fundamentally shift your paradigm structure and the way you think. In other words, you have to uh, you have to do a paradigm shift. And that's difficult for people uh, to do or to grasp. I mean, to believe that our government, our own government, murdered a president, suicided a, a famous actress, killed his brother a few years later, and a civil rights pioneer. And then later to cover up other things that went on, including Iran-Contra, um, 9-11, and others. People died because of that. There was a British researcher who was a part of the British Ministry of Defense who questioned the reasons for us going uh, to Iraq, and they found him dead. They never said what he died of, but they tried to imply that he died of a suicide when they found him in the middle of a uh, park in England. Now, these are things we got to look at. It's par for the course. In my story, when I tried to go public with what I knew back in 1990, I was... Uh, told not to talk. That's number one. Number two, they sent a person into my home who moved in there under the under the invitation of my younger brother, who was who who is a uh, drug addict, and I was letting him stay there because he was he would have been homeless otherwise. And this guy, I found out later, uh, his name people should know. His name was Michael Aquino. He's now deceased. He died about a year and a half to two years ago. Nobody knows what he died of, but he died. They said he passed on. And there was um, just a little bit of background on Michael Aquino. Like there was a, a lot of controversy surrounding him. So what, what's his story? Well, he was a former psychological operations officer for the United Lieutenant Colonel Michael Aquino was a psychological operations officer for the United States. Uh, Army military, Army intelligence. He wrote the co-wrote the book on psychological warfare operations. He also was a covert assassin working under the directive of the Office of the President of the United States. He also uh, transferred from Army intelligence into the National Security Agency. One of the more noted things about Michael Aquino is that he was the co-founder of the Church of Satan with Anton LaVey. Later on, he left the Church of Satan, spun it off to the Temple of Set. And he was with the Temple of Set until the day he died.
messages. We'll be right back. There are those who say that this quiet town holds many secrets. Legend has it that beneath this very tower, a dark force had its eyes set on the children. We were told that what was going on there was for the benefit of humanity. What would you say to the people who say, well, all these children were kidnapped and murdered and you were a part of it, what would you tell them? You I tell did them? approve of it, but there was nothing I could do about it. They wanted a large number of programmed boys to be used for mind control operations. And there are others who say it's still happening to this day. I don't know, I for myself find it a little suspicious that all the evidence has been conveniently destroyed. Let's put it this way. If you're sitting there with 20 guns pointed at you, what are you going to do? Whatever the hell they want! Watch Montauk Chronicles now for free on Tubi, Plex, Roku, and available for download on Amazon and Apple TV. This series presents information based in part on theory and conjecture. The producer's purpose is to suggest some possible explanations, but not necessarily the only ones, to the mysteries we will examine. Why do you think it is that this man who was highly regarded in the military, what was his rank again in the military? Lieutenant Colonel. Lieutenant Colonel, that's a high rank. And so also that, and you know, he had a pretty important position in government. And then when he gets out, he begins the Church of Satan, um, which there are a lot of interesting aspects to that whole thing with Anton LaVey to me had a, had a, you know, he was a showman. He had a, a vast, very colorful history that's interesting to read about. But in Aquino's case, like, why is it, do you think, that this man, and you knew him, why do you think in his case that was the next step after working in government? It's it's odd, don't you think? Well, let me tell you what happened. He didn't, he created the Temple of Set before, and uh, co-created the Church of Satan before he left the army. And it turns out that Anton LaVey uh, worked for um, the FBI as, uh, as an intelligence officer. And there's a really strange thing about, you know, um, Michael Aquino and the work he did and his satanic beliefs. It deals with child sex trafficking he molested children at the Presidio uh, Army Base in San Francisco. These are well documented. The guy was not a good guy. And he, I think he would be the first one to admit he wasn't. 
Well, Wait a second. When you, he, you said he molested children at the base. Was this some kind of covert thing that was happening? Well, there, there was rumors that he was doing it as a part of, of a mind control project that um, post-dated the MKUltra uh, monarch program. It was a continuation. And he worked with the uh, CIA re- reportedly on uh, Monarch. And how uh, you deal and how you train a child to become a, a an assassin or whatever is that you generate a point of terror in the child. So in other words, he was a piece of shit. Yep. Okay. I just I'm want not, to clarify. <laughs> no, I mean, I, but... He protected me, and what happened was he went by a code name, and I think I can reveal it now uh, publicly because when he when he met me, he didn't use his real name. His code name was under Daniel David Moore. And what happened in my case is that when he moved in, he and I talked one day, and he discussed an incident when I worked at NASA. Now, it was so innocuous that I really didn't think much about it, and I had basically forgotten it. But when he brought it up, I go, yeah, that happened. I go, how did did you know? He goes, I was there. I was dressed in an Air Force uniform. You didn't see me? you got to understand, at that point, um, Christopher, there were hundreds of people in Air Force uniforms uh, at NASA at that time. It would, it, would, it would be hard for me to differentiate between any of them. Well, the next story that he told me was the most scary one, and it's very relatable to the subject we're talking about today because when it came to Mark, he got the same warnings. But he goes, I, what uh, Michael Aquino told me is that I was I was I was uh, sent here by President George H. W. Bush to find out what you know, who you were talking to, and to take out executive action. Now, for your listeners who do not know what executive action, that is an assassination order. It's a hit order, and. I knew what it meant then, and I go, well, Daniel, which I didn't know him uh, by his real name at the time. And he even told me, Daniel's not my real name. If I told you what my real name is, you would know, and that would blow my cover. But I found out later when I watched a interview with uh, Geraldo Rivera when he did his talk show and saw the interview, and I saw, that's, you know, Daniel, but it was Michael Aquino, and that's where that went segued into that. That's how I found out who he really was. And what happened was I said, well, Daniel, if you don't do what you're told to do, won't that put, get you in trouble? He goes, no, it won't. And I go, why not? He goes, I know where the bodies are buried, and I buried a few of them myself. They won't touch me. If they do, the information will come out. Now, this is a man who even bucked one of the most powerful people in the world, even at that time, and, current, and his family currently is, is that way, and told him basically to go F off. I'm not going to touch the guy. 
And what he did is that he promised me, he goes, as long as you're alive, I'll make sure nothing ever happens to you. You're under my protection. And this is how serious they are. And I was talking about anti-gravity systems and, and plasma pulse systems at the time. That's what got me into trouble. Carla Turner was talking about UFO abduction experiences. Stan Meyer, an inventor, worked on a car, a carburetor, that could run water through an internal combustion engine and run it as if it were uh, gas or fuel. He was murdered. Okay, so the risk, wait, 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 wait. So Stan Meyer, the risk in that situation was there, it would have assaulted the, the oil industry, the fuel industry. And so they had a lot at stake. And I'm just trying to step out of the, step out of how I feel about it and just look at it from a bird's eye point of view. So they assassinated him because he was going to come public with this new technology that would have virtually rendered fossil fuels obsolete. Am I correct about this? And that segues into the UFO. Okay, but just before we go any further, so in terms of Stan Meyer, he disappeared. How did he die on record? He was poisoned. He was poisoned. Mm -hmm. And did they suggest that he poisoned himself? No. Okay, so what what was the moments before death? Was he alone in his... um, apartment house or did he go somewhere if you could just tell me a little bit about that story because it's so interesting um no he he went for a meeting with potential investors who he was trying to get to invest in his um project and one of, and a couple of them came from the oil industry he was given a glass of um of um oh gosh cranberry juice and afterwards, he got up, his face turned totally red. And I mean, turned bright, beat red. And, and he goes, they poisoned me. He collapsed and died. So he was going to come up with uh, technologies that would um, um, done away with the fossil fuel industry. And that is one of the reasons why... They don't want the UFO information to come out because it would basically shut down um, the oil industry as we know it today. It would end it. And And is it because we're able to reverse engineer their propulsion systems? Not only that, but we're talking about even independently developing systems that could generate energy from the vacuum field and connect to the potential that that energy produces to generate electricity without the need of coal, coal, oil, or nuclear. Is that in in any relation to zero-point energy? Yes. Okay. And so wasn't Tesla, Nikola Tesla, uh, involved in developing that? Partially. I mean, he talked about it, and that's why he was basically, uh, discredited and railroaded out of there, but reportedly Westinghouse, when he went to live in that um, hotel in uh, New York before 
where he died at. That hotel had been built in such a way that it helped um, Nikola Tesla continue and perfect his Wardenclyffe experiments. Westinghouse uh, uh, Company did fund that. And it was their way, since Tesla helped start that company, it was their way of uh, honoring their commitment to Nikola, Nikola and what he was doing. And uh, it was weird that he died under mysterious circumstances dealing with his reported, even though it's not been proven, but his reported involvement in what later became known as the Philadelphia Experiment. And also what happened to his uh, documents after he died. In fact, John Trump, Donald Trump's uncle, was the person who was tasked by uh, uh, FDR to do a scientific review of Tesla's documents after he died. But back to what I what I was saying, though, and oh God, and Phil Schneider. Let's talk about Phil now, because Phil. Okay, so let's let's start with a blank slate on Phil Schneider and tell us a bit about who he was, what he claimed. Because I know about him, but the audience might not. And so, tell me a bit about Phil Schneider, who he was, who he claimed to have been, because he had such an elaborate story, and then ultimately, what was his demise? Well. He reportedly uh, was a uh, engine uh, was a uh, uh, materials engineer and oh gosh I've got the uh, I know is pretty much his background but I'm trying to think of what he worked for with the Army Corps of Engineers he helped to design and build tunnels and tun- tunneling systems where they could build underground uh, bunkers and other and uh, other such things. And his father was a uh, a World War II vet who was, from what Phil stated, originally a Nazi uh, U-boater who defected and came to the U.S. and helped develop technologies that uh, helped the U.S. win the war against Germany. Okay, and, you know, tell me if I'm pretty much correct on this. I want to make sure that... I'm telling the audience uh, pretty much the correct story. And reportedly, he went to he went to the Archuleta uh, Mountain Range in Dulce, New Mexico, or right outside of Dulce, and they were uh, putting in an underground base when they broke through and found that there were quote gray aliens down there. He went in there, he went down to find out what was going on because they couldn't penetrate one of the walls with their uh, boring equipment. And so they were able to chisel a hole through. He goes down with a crane to find out what's going on. And he sees these gray aliens there and he's dressed in a pressure suit. And he starts firing on them with his, uh, with his handgun, kills a few of them, and then one fired on him with a blue beam. It severed fingers from both hands and did damage to his um, um, midsection of his uh, body. And a special forces guy pulled him out of there, went down, started to fire a fight. The special forces guy 
reportedly died uh, in the uh, in the altercation with the uh, gray aliens. And what happened was he came out of it permanently scarred and disabled. He later, in the late 80s, decided to go public with what he knew under the uh, prompting of Al Bielik, his friend. And he started touring and telling people about the um, deep underground bases, the Dumbs, about the um, supposed Granada or Grenada Granada Treaty uh, that Eisenhower had reportedly signed with a, uh, uh, I guess a um, contingent of members of the Gray Race, and how they were using that to end the Dumbs to bring forth the New World Order. Well, let's go and go forward about a year and a half after that occurred, and he did that because he stated certain friends of his were suicided because they wanted to go public, especially with the uh, military assault on Archuleta Mesa against the Greys. And there reportedly was a firefight in which several people died. And there was a stalemate, and they agreed not to fight anymore. Well, about a year and a half after he started telling people about that, and people were dying, and he decided, I have to do this to honor the memory of my friends who died. And that's what he stated over and over again. And um, speeches he gave, he was found dead. He had, uh, he had a catheter tube wrapped around his neck. Now, he had been dead for about five days when they walked in and found his body. And there was severe uh, decomposition. But when, when they found him, they found a catheter tube wrapped around his throat and reportedly... Uh, they say that he wrapped it around his throat, tied it, even though he his fingers were missing. You know, the first, middle, and uh, first, second, and la- and second to the last finger were missing, and two fingers were missing, uh, one on the left hand, one on the right hand. And and I remember he claimed those missing fingers were shot off by an alien laser. Correct. Correct. And the point I'm making is there's no way he could have done it on his own. He didn't have any way to tie and to retie the catheter tube, but they found one tied around his neck. And they believed that they tried to claim he committed suicide. And people in the family, his ex-wife and his daughter, all stated, no, there's no way he could have done that. Okay, so let's let's assume that Let's assume that Phil Schneider was murdered um, for information that he was spreading. Do you think he had any warnings first? Uh, did people tell him to stop people from from highly classified areas of the government? Did they warn him and say, you shouldn't be saying this? Or do you think they just got rid of him? Oh, he talked about it in his speeches. He had been, he had been warned severely that he was to stop talking about it or else. 
And he said, I'm going to honor the uh, the deaths of my friends who died helping to cover this up. He was not at all happy about that at all. In my opinion, he was weak at the time. And at the end of his death, he was in a wheelchair. So his, his body or his health was declining at that point in time. He didn't have the strength to do what they claimed he did. He did not have the fingers on either hand to help pull and control that tube. And when he was found, he was found face down. In His face was in his, his bed. He was in his um, gosh, wheelchair. And people who went in there said there is no way that this could have happened the way they claimed. No way at all. So it was suspicious at the very least. In my opinion, I believe that he was murdered because he was warned several times. You need to shut up. You need to stop talking about this or there would be severe repercussions. Is there anyone else that ever came forward with similar stories about the Dulce or the alleged Dulce base incident? Is Phil Schneider the only one? No, there was another guy. I don't remember his name now, but he reportedly disappeared. And they nobody knows what happened to him. I don't remember his name. I don't. Uh, if I can get the name later on, I'll give it to you and you can put it up. Um, you know, underneath as a caption underneath the uh, interview. But yeah, there was a guy before Phil did who talked about it. Yes. Yeah. And he, uh, Phil Schneider also suggested that the, the extraterrestrials are still battling down there. Is, isn't that what he said? Well, there's still, there's still a war going on under the ground. Well, reportedly they had a stalemate and they decided to sign a treaty. You know, we won't fight you if you don't fight us. That's what Phil indicated. He said that he heard that they, they that after that truce, that they went ahead and started fighting again. But he said he didn't have proof of it one way or the other. So at that point, you know, I'm not sure if there, you know, what he meant by that. It was soon after that that he died. So I don't know if if that may have been the reason for the. Uh, sudden departure of uh, Phil Schneider or not. Right. And for some people, stories like Schneider told are a little less believable because of the supernatural element or how you how we associate it to science fiction, you know, battling aliens, underground bases, all that stuff. But these things, at, at the very least, covert operations have existed. Underground bases do exist. What are some of the more believable, like whereas most people in the population question the validity of the public statement that this person committed suicide. What do you think is the most profound out of all of them? Okay. uh, Clarify. Do you mean uh, of all the stories? Yeah. What, What story comes to mind as I would say the most contradictory in terms of the public statement that this person committed suicide, we all know that they didn't. I mean, I think Jeffrey Epstein is one of them. And he, I suppose, was a potential whistleblower on 
people that may have subscribed to his services or people he was blackmailing. And clearly, I think the majority of the population agrees that Epstein was murdered. Well, and a, and a lot of people believe that Epstein may still be alive and that, he, and that with the help of uh, the CIA and the Mossad was able to fake his death so he could uh, leave the United States and go to Israel, which they believe now he may be at. But that's Epstein. Uh, the one story right. that comes, there are several stories. There's a story about, about a UFO researcher who was a scientist. I haven't been able to find out what her last name was, but she was a abductee experiencer. Her her name was Amy, and she was a young girl, uh, late twenties to early thirties, and she started actually doing research, and then abruptly they claimed she committed suicide after she stated, "I not now know the truth," and they say that she hung herself. A la Phil Schneider. Another mysterious death dealing with the UFO cover-up was of uh, JFK um, Umbrella Man um, Gordon Novell. He broke his foot. Well, he was dealing with diabetes at the time. Let me clarify that. But he broke his foot and went to the hospital and went into a nursing home for a while. And he got a what they found out later, and Mark McCandlish, and we're gonna, and I'm about to go into his story. Mark McCandlish had uh, Gordon's family pull uh, or get um, samples of the MRSA bacteria that they found that they claimed killed Gordon. And the thing is, he had a lab. He, he paid for it himself. He had a lab-run test on that bacteria. And it was genetically altered. And they were able to trace it, trace it back to the USAMBRID lab at Fort Detrick, Maryland. And that's the Army lab where they hold biocontagions. So you look at it that way. And Gordon was involved with people like... Um, Dr. Ron Pendolfi uh, of the CIA, Dr. Hal Putoff and Russell Targ, both of the CIA and NSA, who, who were the founders of the uh, um, CIA and the NSA and the uh, Army's remote viewing program, or programs, I should say, plural, and other members of the so-called aviary group, which was the UFO working group, and even Dr. Lieutenant Colonel, retired Dr. John B. Alexander. And he was threatening to go public with some dirt he knew about uh, people in that group, and he had proof of it. So they, I believe they killed him. But Gordon was directly tied with Mark McCandlish through the alien reproduction vehicle uh, story. And those of you who may not know about that story, I'll do a brief segue. Mark McCandlish was an aerospace illustrator. He had done work for popular mechanics, popular science, uh, Smithsonian, and other um, 
organizations, and even aerospace companies like uh, Lockheed Martin, Northrop Grumman, and others, where he did detailed drawings of theoretical systems that they were working on, that they were trying to get funding from the U.S. government for, that would turn out later to be classified projects. Well, Mark had been invited to uh, to a uh, air show with his friend uh, Brad Sorensen. Uh, if you want to call them friends, because they weren't real, <laughs> they were associates more than friends, honestly. But Mark could not go to the um, air show due to the fact that he, um, and I believe it was at Norton Air Force Base, and um, they couldn't. He couldn't go because he had uh, some illustration work to do. Brad Sorensen went there and was invited to another Air Force base to go to Norton. It was not at Norton uh, originally where Brad went to, but he made friends and talked to a general there who, you know, brought him into a classified hangar at Norton uh, to uh, see some classified technology. Now, Brad was not supposed to be there. And the general helped get him in and helped give him a cover story. But he saw three devices, one humongous device and two smaller devices, that were levitating off the ground. And he heard the term alien reproduction vehicle, which was later known as the flux liner. Developed originally back from in 1960 to 65 by Lockheed Martin Skunk Works or Lockheed Skunk Works as it was known at the time. And it was a rudimentary system based on uh, what they could glean reportedly out of the Roswell crash. Well, um, Brad Sorensen told Mark later on, Mark asked him, well, what happened? Well, Brad told the story. Well, I saw this at a hangar. I shouldn't have been there. And Mark asked him for details. And Mark, being the smart man he was, was able to transpose the notes that he got from Brad and drew a schematic drawing of the alien reproduction vehicle. Well, Later on, he was brought in front of the uh, Disclosure Project, uh, you know, Dr. Stephen Greer, and he testified at the uh, press conference about what he, what he had heard and even showed a detailed, the detailed drawing he came up with. And then later on, he was approached by uh, Gordon Novell to work with him on what later, and I was a part of this uh, project called the RAM Group. Uh, Replication Alien Machine was the acronym. But Gordon wanted to capitalize on the technology and make money from it. But Gordon was a grifter. I'm going to be honest about that. He got, let's say, over $3 million to $4 million to do, to do his quote-unquote research. However, he never spent the money on that. He never funded the projects he claimed he was going to fund. All that money either went to prostitutes or his drug habit, which was uh, heroin. And he was a diabetic. 
and he did some real crazy stuff by injecting heroin into his uh, insulin as a way to hide it from the cops. I know that ain't good, but that's what happened. I was a witness to that. And no, yeah, I mean, that's not good because it kind of reduces his credibility, you know? Well, the only reason why he got away with a lot of the crap he got away with is that he was blackmailing government officials. Never a good thing because if you ever lose your ability to blackmail people and the evidence that you were able to, to, um, obtain that could expose them to blackmail you then are now at the point where they can paint a target on your head and that's what happened to gordon um he had evidence against i think dr pendolfi and others that he threatened to use and i know he did because i read emails and i was a part of the correspondence between uh gordon mark mccandlish ron pendolfi paul murad and others where he said, I've got the dirt on you, mother effers. And he even said that to Ron. He goes, if you don't give me some money, I'm going to let everybody know this. Well, it came up, uh, and they promised to pay for his storage unit where he had the evidence. And then when the storage unit was coming up for renewal uh, to pay for the uh, rent for it, Ron cut him off. He lost the storage unit. A CIA official went in there and 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 bought the storage unit, and then and bought it for a premium, mind you. In other words, he bid so high that no one else could match his bid or even go ahead of him. The guy went in there with a with a team. They pulled every every one of Gordon's property out of there, and Gordon's blackmail was gone. And then it was no matter than a, about five months later that he died. Well, Mark had an ongoing feud with Gordon Novell because Gordon, like uh, Michael Schratt, who is a quote-unquote aerospace historian, and I think he's more of a con man than anyone I know, and I know Mike personally. And uh, he and Michael, uh, Gordon and Michael used to abscond with uh, Mark's drawings, violating Mark's copyright. Or not one well trademark, I should say. And uh, Mark never had the money to sue any of them, but he did make it known publicly and made it known in um, email correspondence. And he and Gordon went had their back and forth, where Gordon said, and I'm not going to repeat what Gordon said in emails because it's not family friendly fair, but. They went back and said that they were going to kill each other and do other things to each other. And Mark also at the time, here's the other thing I want to segue into. He had become a sovereign citizen. Now, if your listeners do not understand what that term means, it's a term that means that he's no longer considers himself or a person for that matter no longer considers themselves a member of the, quote, corporation known as the United States. They severed ties with that under the Constitution and become a constitution, constitutional citizen. 
or in legal terms, a sovereign citizen. They don't have to pay income tax or anything. Well, Mark, under, under the uh, federal guidelines, was able to become a, one of the few people that became a sovereign citizen. Well, during that time, Mark had a crap ton of guns. I mean, he owned every pretty much handguns, rifles, semi-automatics, so on and so forth. He had over, I think they said at one point, 100 guns. Now, people may think, well, that's a lot of weapons. You know, he, he was just one of these gun collectors that liked to collect guns. And the Department of Homeland Security, the Office of uh, Special Investigations Air Force, and the FBI watched him closely. They would go to his house, knock on the door, asking him, well, is everything all right, Mr. McCandlish? Basically harassing him because they didn't know whether or not he would become a terrorist. Mainly because he became a sovereign citizen and owned a crap ton of guns. He would never have done that. He was a patriot. He was also... At one time in the Air Force, he was a mechanic on air, uh, aircraft mechanic in the Air Force. Before he left the Air Force, went to um, art school and became a um, an artist. And they would watch. They would have uh, agents there watching his place, his old home, uh, sometimes twenty four hours a day, seven days a week, because they considered him a potential threat. He wasn't. All he wanted to do was to continue his work and wasn't able to do that. He lost his contracts with um, not only the aerospace companies, but even some of the publications that he was doing um, illustrations for. He was working for a long time, helping his girlfriend uh, with her, what used to be uh, initially a... um, um, not a healthcare home, but a, a home for the uh, uh, for people with disabilities. And then they lost her license to do that. And then her his girlfriend Michelle converted it into a uh, a animal shelter. And Mark was working for her doing that because he loved her. They never got married, unfortunately. And I kept trying to tell Mark, you know, you've been with her for over thirty years. At that point, he was. I said, why don't you get married? Well, I don't know. I've, I've breached the subject with her, and, you know, we she doesn't feel comfortable uh, about it, is what he told me. She had just gotten through with a, um, you know, kind of a bad divorce uh, prior to her meeting Mark, and she's, she was afraid that that might cause problems in their uh, relationship. Well, Mark had been writing people like Mark Rubio and other members of, of the Senate and Congress, along with Stephen Greer, trying to get them to do actual and uh, actual hearings dealing with the UFO situation. It wasn't until the exposure of the, uh, of the ATIP program came out and the uh, Tic Tac videos that finally the uh, Congress finally started doing investigation. Uh, investigative uh, hearings on the subject. Well, reportedly, from what Mark had indicated, 
Marco Rubio um, contacted him and wanted to get him uh, under oath, uh, under deposition, to tell what he knew. And he was preparing for that. Uh, They were going to fly him out to D.C. He was going to sit there in front of Congress and give uh, sworn testimony about the ARV and also about how the United States currently does have technology uh, that the military contractors are not releasing to the public. And he was going to state that. And I had talked to Mark about it. I knew what his plans were. Well, two days before he was supposed to fly out, I called him. He wasn't able to sleep too well. He had back issues and all from an injury he got when he was working in the Air Force. And he was given a full, he was fully disabled because of it when he was uh, trying to help lift a uh, jet engine. And it ruptured a couple of discs in his spine. And he had dealt with severe pain because of that for years since that point. And so he couldn't sleep too well. He had to take medication, pain meds. But every time I call him, I check in on him and say, Mark, how are you doing? And that day was no different than any, any other day. I always called him at the worst time. Uh, Christopher, I always called him when he was in the middle of sleep. I tried to wait till the end of the day to help him get sleep, but my timing has never been perfect. Not with him or... Well, he was probably sleeping a lot. Well, he tried, and then he, he was working for his um, girlfriend, whose son was a, you know, was a tyrant. So what ended up happening well, ultimately? Uh, uh, what, what, what are his final well, days? Well, I was getting to the final day. What happened that day was very simple. I call him. He was, he was just Mark. He said, I'll call you later. About two and a half hours later, uh, and I didn't find this out, I just I kept calling him when he didn't call me back and nobody was responding. And then somebody told me Mark died about three days later. And I go, what happened? They said he committed suicide, that he shot himself. And I go, huh? I was shocked because I knew Mark and I just talked to him just previously to that. And there was no way that he was in the mindset to commit suicide. Now, I want to remind you, your listeners, of what I just said before. He was going to go do the one thing he had purposed himself to do for years and testify in front of Congress. Now, since then, the Congress, uh, people at the Congress have stated that the story wasn't true, but I don't believe that. I believe that he was supposed to go, and when they found out he died, they uh, decided against doing the hearings after all. But what happened that day was just a few hours later, he started calling people in the uh, press, his girlfriend, his family, the sheriff's department, telling them all, I'm about to kill myself. I just want to tell you that I'm going to kill myself. The $20 billion question to me is whether he killed himself or not. 
why is it after he called that many people, including his landlord, I forgot to put that down, why didn't anyone send a welfare check for him? Why didn't the sheriff's department send a sheriff's deputy out there to stop the death? I see a lot of people drop the ball. Yeah, that usually doesn't, I mean, it it doesn't always happen. You know, unfortunately, people don't perceive that the person's going to kill themselves. I really don't care. If they claim they're going to kill themselves, whether they do it or not, you send officers to the door to knock on the door. Oh, I agree. But it didn't happen. So what ended up happening? Well, reportedly, there were a couple of shots heard. Bam, bam. And then his landlady, after uh, other tenants complained that they heard gunshots, calls the sheriff's department, then the sheriff's department comes and checks on Mark when they found him dead. Now, remember I'm telling you about the fact that the U.S. federal government was watching Mark. They were doing surveillance on Mark for years. And this was constant surveillance. They knew they were tapping his phones. They had people parked in the parking lot of his apartment that he moved into. So they knew his whereabouts. They knew what he was doing. They didn't let the finger get, when I talked and I did talk to the coroner, I didn't talk to his assistant, like um, Walter, uh, Walter Bosley and Steve Camden did. They talked to his assistant and then claimed every, everyone they talked to the coroner. They lied to people, and I'll make that point very clear because I talked to the coroner for about 45 minutes to an hour when he was on his lunch break and asked him what happened on uh, June 9th. And he told me what happened. He goes, I said, can you tell me what's going on? Well, we're not supposed to uh, release this information to anyone outside of the family. But since you are a good friend of his... I think I can trust you with this. And he goes, uh, and he goes, he committed suicide. He goes, he was very depressed. They found a quote suicide note. And I go, okay, well, I said, I talked to him prior to that. He was actually in good spirits. Same old Mark I knew. And he goes, well, and the person who gave me the information about the phone calls and everything, was the coroner. And I talked to him for about an hour, and he told me what happened. At first, he told me that Mark had shot himself with a shotgun. But then later, uh, his assistant recanted that story and said, no, it was a twenty-two caliber uh, gun to the uh, base of the the skull near the uh, ear, near the left ear. And the one thing, and, I, and he goes, and I asked him, I said, did you do an autopsy on him? He goes, we didn't have to. And I go, why? It was obvious what he died of or died from. And I'm going, okay. But he, but he then told me, he goes, there was something strange about what happened. And I go, what, what's that? And he goes, 
Two federal agents came in two minutes after me and my assistant got there. Now, he did tell me in detail about going in there, and at the at the doorway, there was a sheriff's deputy waiting there and uh, blocking entrance from the uh, girlfriend and from the uh, Michelle's girlfriend and, and the uh, landlord. In other words, they didn't want to do anything that, in case it was a potential homicide, they did not want anyone to uh, mess with the crime, the potential crime scene. Within two minutes, he told me, after he and his assistant went there, two federal agents, one from Homeland Security and the other one either from OSI or FBI, came in and started asking them questions. They were not supposed to be there. I want to tell your audience that emphatically. They were not supposed to be there. That was a uh, local issue, not a felony federal issue. They were directing both the coroner and his assistant, which was a woman, directing them on and emphasizing that it was a suicide. And the coroner told me, he goes, why did the feds come there? There was no reason for them being there. Because to even to the um, um, uh, coroner, he stated to me, even in his estimation, he thought it was a suicide. He didn't tell me about the note. I didn't find out about the note, Christopher, until days later, that there was a suicide note. Me and other people wanted to do wanted to see the, a copy of the suicide note, but it's never surfaced. That's one thing I want to c- confirm with you. So nobody you know saw or read the suicide no. note. And the coroner. W- so what was the final verdict, and how many people came out and challenged it? Well, I'm end? one of the ones who came out. The final verdict was a suicide. And you came out and challenged it. Did anyone else come out and challenge it publicly? Gary Cassidy and three other people. Okay. And and was this story popularized as a as a false suicide yes. for others? Yeah. You know, conspiracy theorists, people like that. Okay. Yes, indeed. And wow. it was real. And here here was the cover up of that. When I went public with what I knew. Walter Bosley, a guy who's known for uh, former OSI and FBI officer, knew details about what happened. And he immediately set in the cover-up mode and used a then-unknown podcaster by the name of Steve Camdian to make a video claiming that refuting all the accusations against... um, the coroner's office against Mark's uh, murder and against um, the involvement of the federal government. I happened to talk to Steve Camden afterwards. Steve told me at that point that all the information he got to initiate the investigation was from Walter Bosley. Now, people who do not know who Walter Bosley is, He wrote a famous book on the subject of the great airship 
mystery back in the 1800s. He was a former Air Force Office of Special Investigations, OSI, and FBI, Federal Bureau of Investigation agent. And he challenged it in the end? Or no, he was he was actually supporting the fact that no, no, no. He challenged he committed suicide. It. But he, he challenged didn't do it, it directly. Okay. And so what was the result of that? He didn't okay. do it directly. He used Steve Camden as a cutout. In other words, okay. you know what a cutout is. He's like his fall guy. Well, huh? he, he's the misdirect, misdirect guy. He's the guy that if any, uh, he can, uh, it gives Walter Bosley plausible deniability. Well, I never talked to Mr. Camden about it. Okay. So ultimately you believe he was murdered for the knowledge that he was about to reveal for the information that he was about to reveal. You believe he was murdered, correct? Well, yes. And I believe that the, it was the UFO issue that he was murdered for that. It's just a minute issue. What, what was it? What was the reason you think and he I was know murdered? Because he wanted to tell them not only about UFOs, but hopefully in an unclassified session, tell them about the work that was done by uh, defense contractors in reverse engineering this technology. In other words, it would have released, his testimony would have released classified information on technologies that are not presently um, acknowledged. And if our enemies were to have come to the knowledge that we had this tech, that could literally lead us into World War Three. That is, and that's consistent with everybody else. You know, it's it's this information that would have such great impact, and it would stop a lot of oppression, control, you know, atrocities that are happening behind the curtain. And so, coming to a close here, all of these things. Was there ever? one of these cases ultimately that was confirmed by both the pe- the populace by people and the government ultimately saying listen it was um not the correct information this person didn't commit suicide they were murdered did any of these were any of these ever these assassinations ever finally revealed on record well i can't <laughs> tell you specific details of uh that I can look it up, but I have read documentation where the government uh, reversed the suicide accusations and said that it looked potentially like a homicide, but they wouldn't even commit to that. Right. That well, how do you I mean, there? And it seems to be going on because even during times of COVID, there were several. I mean, doctors and people. Even uh, a woman in China had disappeared, and she claimed. She knew the entire story, correct? Well, look at Ning Li. She she was an anti-gravity specialist. Now, they claim that she invented anti-gravity. That's nonsense. The anti-gravity work, um, there was work done by Thomas Townsend Brown, and he died of natural causes from exposure to high-dense energy fields that generated ozone. And he breathed it in and it damaged his lungs. And that's what eventually killed him. 
But he was the father, in my opinion, he and Tesla, and they knew each other. They were uh, at one time contemporaries. They were the fathers of anti-gravity research as, as we know it today, and I'm an expert in the field of that. But Ning Li was replicating uh, work done by uh, Eugene or Evgeny uh, Puklinov, Dr. Puklinov from Russia, using spinning, spinning disk and um, uh, generating an acoustic, gravi- uh, an acoustic magnetic field to counter gravity. And Ning Li had replicated that, but then went back to China and reportedly worked on that for the Chinese government. And the United States government tried to get her to come back, but they later on believed that Ning Li was a, was a uh, double agent working for the uh, Chinese Communist Party while she was doing work also for the um, United States government under a NASA contract at um, Marshall, Marshall Space Flight Center. And reportedly, recently she died under mysterious circumstances. They never claimed it was a suicide, but they don't. Uh, but they've never made public what or, or the how she died. You know what the cause of death was. And one last person I would like to bring up before I uh, we uh, close this session. I want to bring up about Dr. Billy Rose or William Rose, real quickly. He was a uh, theoretical physicist who worked on uh, Operation uh, uh, Looking Glass and other technologies dealing with the Roswell issue. He had a doctorate in uh, theoretical physics, a master's in psychology, and he was suicided. They claimed it was a suicide. He slipped and fell in the shower, breaking his neck, his collarbone, his trachea, and his skull. And they at first tried to claim that that was a suicide. There is no way in hell that could have been a suicide. Not with those injuries. That was a murder. That is what we're talking about here. They will do anything to keep this technology and the information about it secret do you think the tides will turn ever and that maybe history will be rightfully rewritten in a lot of these cases where on the books on record all of these people had killed themselves whereas at least some of them most likely didn't um do you think that they're they'll have the opportunity and 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 justice will be served one day I'm hoping and praying that that happens because Billy was my mentor and a good friend of mine. And the fact that he died the way he died was unconscionable. And the same with Mark McCandlish and others. Mark was murdered, in my opinion, and I will stake my reputation and my life on it. He was murdered. It wasn't a suicide. Like I told somebody, if it was a suicide and the federal government knew about it, why didn't they uh, go up to his door and stop it? Nothing makes sense about it. And we need to bring justice to these people. Bottom line, they need, they need to be brought justice to. And that's what I'll end with. 
Yeah, well, it would require a lot. It would require, I think, a completely different set of leadership around the world, not just the United States. And um, hopefully that happens one day, but it's going to be a gargantuan task to accomplish on the part of the people that want it to happen. And uh, if you could, okay, so there's a couple of things, uh, two last questions, and again, they don't have to be long answers, but if you were to suggest how people could start by making this a better place, because it's, it's quite, a, quite a knot to untie, you know, it's not going to happen overnight, and it's really going to require a lot, a, a huge change on everybody's part and solidarity, and part of me just doesn't see it happening. But um, what would you say to people, if you could, to encourage people to open their eyes to a lot of these things and that we are being taken advantage of and some things are being hidden that that shouldn't be? Well, every six months, uh, things that come out, stories that come out that people consider are conspiracy theories are now proven to be factual. Don't doubt what people are telling you unless you can prove that it isn't true. Do your homework. Don't be sheeple. Open your eyes. Look at things with eyes wide open, not eyes wide shut. Stand up for your fellow people in your community. If you, there, there are going to be bad apples no matter where you live. But learn who your neighbors are. Learn who the people are. Learn which cops are good cops and which ones shouldn't be. Run for office if you need to, public office. Make a difference. Don't stand by and allow anyone to hurt you or your family. But take a stand for what is right and what is right is might. That's what I got to say about that. Thank you. And then I'm going to ask this. I've asked you this before, but I, I keep it consistent. So um, on your way out of this world, out of this physical body, if you're able to retain your consciousness, what will you take with you? I'm hoping that at the very end, I can take with me the knowledge of knowing that I made a big difference in helping everyone live a better life and saving humanity if we can. That would be my legacy at the end. Welcome back to Off to the Witch. I'm your host, Christopher Garitano, and I want to thank you for joining the conversation tonight. I always encourage the audience to think for yourself and conduct your own research. There are certainly dark corners of all governments in the world. Just take caution as to what conspiracies you choose to believe, as they might lead you down an even darker path. Until next time, try to enjoy the daylight. <laughs>